This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Jeff, Awesome Possum Blossom, Amy, Matthew, William, Brandon, Dave, Scott, Kate, Isaac, Ori, Karoon, Eddie, and Nick B. And all the patrons want you to know that you are loved, you are listened to, and you are a valued member of this awesome Horror Virgin community. And if you want to hang out with all of us, join the Facebook group where we hang out and chat daily. You guys want to know my favorite icebreaker? <laughs> what, Grace? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first eight minutes of this movie had me totally bugging. <laughs> <laughs> this was the dark, clueless <laughs> sequel that I needed. This is the darkest, clueless timeline. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin, Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, we watched... The, the Lodge. Lodge. So I believe, if I remember correctly from last week, this is the first time we have all seen this movie before. Is that right? That's correct. You are correct, sir. Oh, not again. No, do, We're literally not. just started do and not. Ed McMahon's already here at <laughs> no The Lodge cuts. with no, us. No, no cuts. This is unacceptable, no. Mikey. All the cuts. <laughs> We're not falling into the same trap we did last week. So what did you guys think of the movie? When you first saw it. Do me last, because Todd's going to be mad about it. Why do you always tell me that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jake. I'm sorry, Paige, for disrespecting you. I'm sorry, Mom. And I'm sorry, work. And I'm sorry, everybody else that gonna, could force me to have real consequences on things I say at this podcast. No cuts. You are correct, sir. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. I'll go okay. first. You guys ready? Yeah. One. I was terribly sad we didn't watch this during when we were, like, scratching our head over what snow movies to watch. I know. Well, it it was on the list, and it was one of the things that I was like, we have this, but I want to do it for cult month. But honestly, after having seen it, I think it probably would have been better for snow month. I think so, too. Yeah. I really underestimated the amount of scenes that would take place in the snow. Yeah, same. Same, same, same. <laughs> That's probably the best thing I'll say about this movie. Yeah, same. Todd doesn't like it. I, I didn't like it just because I think maybe the movie did what it was supposed to do. And maybe like I just like hated it for like what happened. I, I, I have a serious problem. I, I One, those kids are terrible. I hate them. Those are the yes, worst. Yes, <laughs> terrible children. Um, I have a hard time believing the premise that they would be successful in like unhinging this lady from reality. Because she seems so well adjusted and so like much of a well-rounded adult. And yes, they did hide her psych meds. But like I don't know her diagnosis. And it would be very hard to like... It's hard to shape a psychosis, if that makes sense. Like, it's like usually the internal mind, not what they're doing. And she was smart. Like, in the movie, her character's smart. She's well-rounded. I th And she had it basically figured out until, like, she, like, flips a switch and goes, like, off the edge. I think the dog is the switch for her, to be honest. Like, okay. she's definitely on the brink, but I think the dog that she kind of introduces is, like, this was the symbol of my new life and escaping from this. She even says that. And she even says yeah. that. I think the dog is is the last straw for her. I, I have two big frustrations with this movie. One, I don't think the kids could fully pull off everything that they pull yes, off. That's no, they, they 100% can't. They're not special effects artists. So no, they could not. Also, the first act sets up the things that they are going to plan. And we actually see them pack for it, which means that they were planning ahead of time to do it. 
but they've never met her before. And so I think there's a little bit of an issue with the idea that they could so perfectly unhinge her without having met her, it seems, because the movie seems to set up that they haven't really spent any time with her. And so I think that's a bit of a, a disconnect. Right. And they do like Kevin McAllister levels of like preparation right. and execution. And the fact that no one would wake up while they buried everything that far away in the snow and things like that right. is just... Well, they do say that they gave her a sleeping pill. So yes. I do believe that. But at best, at absolute best, those kids have six hours at night when it is freezing to hide everything in the house, to essentially move out of the house. I don't think that's possible. No, I, I don't think I, it's possible. It's not. Yeah, I don't. Especially with a younger sister, they would just complain. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like an older brother. Right. <laughs> like, the fact that they would do it without fighting and then what, him hitting her and her crying is like impossible. That's the most unrealistic part of this whole thing. Yeah, I think that for me is a bit of a stretch. The other thing that's a, a stretch that kind of goes along with it is that they craft such a specific narrative with their pranking where they're like we're going to convince her that we're already dead and in purgatory right and that's set up in act one like if it's blink and you miss it but it is set up in act one to the point where when they start pulling things out in act three i was like that's why they packed that like that's why they had it mm -hmm. but you had to be watching so fucking close to see it so I feel like that is the idea that they hadn't met her, that they could pull all of this off, and that as children they could construct a narrative that they are all dead and in purgatory and make it believable is a stretch for me. Oh, and then and then they can plan all of that, execute it perfectly, move around at night, but they don't hide the gun. I don't think they knew about the gun. No, they did. There's a scene where she has the gun and then it just cuts away. Like when they shake her awake and she knocks the little girl down and the girl starts to bleed. She pistol whips her, yeah. Yeah, and then it cuts away. They didn't think to take the gun. But I don't know that she ever gives it up after that point. They would hear her shooting with her dad before he left and I would be like, okay. That's true, shit. that's true. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to explain this movie in a way that makes me comfortable that these people got money to make it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's well crafted and I oh. and I saw what they were trying to do and I don't know if it's I don't know if my repulsion with it was like repulsion. it doing what it intended. I think so. I think it's I think revulsion, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. <laughs> That's the same thing. I am here for a slow ass movie like this. Oh, I like so slow movies. I I have problems with the movie, but overall kind of dug it. It's fucked up. This is the kind of shit that scares me. This movie, for me, will rank higher on a scary scale than most other stuff we do. Oh, really? Oh, Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm, I'm getting your style now. I felt like they pretty much ripped off Hereditary's like, directing yes. style. The director who made this has a hard, like a rock-hard boner for Hereditary and The Shining. But also, none of the execution skills of Ari Aster. It was just like a kind of a ripoff. I think that Ari Aster crafts a better story. I think Ari Aster's better with character development. Yeah. I think Ari Aster, while he does a lot of the same things of laying out Easter eggs for you to kind of pick at, which I love in a movie. I love trying to find stuff. I think this movie is almost there, but not quite. Where like, I want to see the director's next movie. If that makes sense. Yes. One of the things I really liked about the movie, which is just a me personal thing, is the cult that they develop for this movie. Because it is fake. There are parts of it that kind of echo Heaven's Gate, 
but the overall like vibe that they give it is more of an Americana Warren Jeffs family cult, which is they are terrifying. I was digging that. I thought we were watching a cult movie. I had no idea that it wasn't at all about a cult. It was just about a woman who was a cult survivor and that sort of messed her up. And then whatever happens, happens. And Paige, you and I disagree on what happens in this movie a lot. I'm wondering if you watched it at this point. I mean, that's fair. I wish I hadn't. And I think the reason, and I'll just say the reason I think they died during when they had the gas heater inside, which you're not supposed to do and will kill you if you stay in a room with it. Yeah. I think they died and it's a Jacob's Ladder situation. And the only reason I think that is because there's no way those kids could have pulled this off and they never leave. They have a chance to leave. They try to leave. The car that just got the dad there will not work. How do you explain the dad getting there, though? People die, Paige, and they end up in purgatory and some people leave before others. I mean, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that that's how outlandish what the kids do is. That they pull all of that off. That it either has to be purgatory or this movie is not, it's very poorly written and executed pretty poorly as well. But I mean, it is creepy, I guess. Honestly, it felt like a not scary hereditary to me. Hereditary is definitely scarier, I I would say. But I'll say this. A lot of people were really terrified of The Strangers, and we watched The Strangers, and I felt like the execution of that movie was so laughably bad, it did not scare me at all. And I feel like the same thing in this movie. I sort of just got numb to it. I was like, there's no way a kid by himself without the help of an adult could figure out how to create and pull off one of those false hanging like nooses yeah that sticks out to me as probably the the most glaring the kids could not pull this off yeah i have a couple other things that i i think i'm like huh that's insane that they could do all of that at once but i think for me i wasn't as concerned with whether or not the kids could pull this off as much as i was concerned with whether or not she was a danger to herself or the kids and that was the scarier part oh yeah i mean the scariest part in this movie is that the dad is a terrible father oh my god and also a therapist that slept with one of his patients yes oh i thought he was a reporter he was the therapist i thought he was a reporter too no he's a therapist and that's why he wrote the book on cult survivors this is modeled after michelle remembers you guys didn't fucking watch it enough holy shit that makes this movie terrible he's terrible i hate the father this dude's i'm glad he got shot well that's 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 too much now that's too much. i just thing. thought he was like me where he doesn't date his clients but he definitely dates someone else's clients well i mean listen everybody's dating someone's therapist clients you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying <laughs> ain't you know nothing what I'm wrong saying? with that normalize <laughs> it that's true i read this as therapist however you could read it as reporter and it's just as bad because you may not know this but when some of the daughters escaped from the Westboro Baptist Church, they did closely partner with reporters to tell their story. And in some cases, those lines got a little blurry. So, like, that could also be something they're referencing and just intentionally oh. keeping it vague. But either way, it's bad and it's an abuse of trust. I was going to say, I do think it's worse if he's the therapist, though. I mean, that's terrible, Paige. Now you're just making me hate this man a lot more. And I hated him to begin with why did he have to go back to town if he had clients during that time on the weekend people work on the weekends mikey (laughs) (laughs) you know how i know mikey's rich as shit a job what on earth is that 
<laughs> what I read this as, and and this could also just be because I read Michelle Remember so recently, but I read this as he had been her therapist, wrote the book about her, and got famous from it. Because remember, she's 12 in that book. But he basically gets famous from it and becomes this like noted psychiatrist that's why he has that crazy house and is crazy rich i mean his like winter cabin is bigger than his like live-in home they say that it's in massachusetts in the movie so i would assume that it's depending on where that could be pretty expensive right it could be if it's boston maybe i don't know yeah um but yeah i i read it as he was like Lawrence pazder where he becomes the therapist that everyone calls for an interview and that's why it kind of seems like he's talking to reporters and stuff son of a bitch that might be right Paige, because maybe he was talking to a reporter and that's why he said the word reporter fuck yeah now i really really hate him and don't hate so much that he dies at the end i i mean to be honest i did not like him as a character uh i found him very frustrating but that said he's not responsible for alicia silverstone's death no i don't think so either okay Uh, he's not her he's not her therapist according to wikipedia he is an author who met grace while researching a book about an extremist christian cult okay so it splits the difference then basically it's like (laughs) that makes sense more or less a reporter who's like blurring the lines right yeah yeah it's yeah. still not good Paige. you're not wrong it's still not good i think it is literally exactly halfway between michelle remembers and the reporters who de- dealt with the westboro baptist church <laughs> like it is literally the exact midpoint oh my god but let's just get into this movie because clearly we have a lot to discuss including a really bad take about this being purgatory brought to you by yours truly so let's just get into <laughs> it purgatory is listening to you both argue about this <laughs> Anyway, the first thing I noticed about this movie, as, as we get into it, is it's a hammer horror film, Wait. which we have not done a lot of. Well, and I think we've I was done actually, one. Yeah. I think the only one we've done is Lady in Black. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh, we're, we're finally doing hammer horror. I'm like in a roundabout way. <laughs> um, but so it is hammer horror. We open on what looks like a creepy, empty house, but something is off about it. And as we kind of pan through we're hearing alicia silverstone calling for mia and aiden and there is a gun in the middle of the table that's the same shot we get at the very end of the film yeah and as she's calling for them to go we hear the children giggling and we see the family in the family room except now we can tell that it's not a real family it's been a dollhouse yeah now this dollhouse has the exact same layout as the actual lodge house yeah the cabin So they cut back and forth to it occasionally where you look at miniatures and then you see the actual house. Time out. Todd, if you do not call this house The Lodge throughout this podcast, I will murder you. Yeah, it's when I said The Cabin. I was like, it's way too big for a cabin. It is fully a lodge. It is fully a lodge. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we were having the same thought, but mine was a lot like more internal. (laughs) So we cut to a shot of Alicia Silverstone putting on her makeup. And then she kind of breaks down and sobs in the mirror. So she's clearly oh. not okay. We're not seeing Alicia Silverstone's character on her best day. We are not. She is clearly struggling. I really do think they set this whole thing up at the very beginning very, very well. Because it's yeah. clear there's something going on in her life that's a problem. We don't know that the father and her are separated yet. But like, right. they do drop some clues that she very much wants to get back together with him even before you ever meet him. 
Yes, because she's dressing up. She looks nice. It's like a whole thing. She's putting lipstick on in the mirror on the way over there, which is something my mom used to do on the way to church. She would like put makeup on and I'd be like, mom, stop putting makeup on while you're driving. We're all going to die. Oh, no. <laughs> but we cut to them driving. We don't know where yet, but we've got the Barbie doll hanging out of the window, which is going to be a, a big thing that factors into the movie as it goes. Yeah. And we meet Aiden and Mia in the backseat where they're kind of arguing over the doll. He pulls its arm off. She puts it back on. And they ask, is she going to be there? And Alicia Silverstone says no. And they basically, we find out that there's someone female there that they don't like. That's all we know. At that point, I figured it was like the stepmom. It's not quite the stepmom. It's just the lady he left her for. At least that's the way it seems. Right. And we don't really know when that happened or how long it's been. We never find out. Uh, But they pull up to a very cool mid-century mod house. The dad (laughs) answers the door and he sends the two kids to get candy. And she tells them no artificial sweeteners. I was like, what candy are they going to get? Like, what what are you thinking? Like, no sugar, sugar, no artificial sweeteners. Yeah, like, (laughs) I'm just going to lick the inside of this sweet and low packet. (laughs) It's fine. I'm pretty Uh, sure sweet and low is artificial. Yeah. (laughs) See, it's impossible. You need, look, you're looking for sugar in the raw. Ooh. Honestly, sugar in the raw is my favorite. That is my favorite, too, actually. Good old naked sugar. (laughs) They... They send them out and he says to Alicia Silverstone, I want to talk to you about something. So he basically sent them out to get them away. Well, he even says that to them. He's like, I want to talk to your mom for a second. Yeah. So he brings her into the kitchen, makes himself an Alka-Seltzer and offers her coffee. But he's only got instant because he gave it up. So I love this shot because he's like cleaning up in the kitchen and it's very Mm -hmm. clear he's cleaning up after what I would say was a very romantic night for two because there's two wine glasses. There's two plates. There's like two like... Uh, appetizer plates like it's very clear they had a romantic all right we're gonna get married i need to tell my wife i'm getting divorced although they are clearly separated and again right right right. there are a lot of situations in which you might be separated and already dating just because it's been years since you separated you know i'm not i'm not trying to make a judgment call on that i mean they're they're living in two different houses at this point i'm gonna call it separated i'm gonna call it fair game yeah mikey you ever been divorced Sometimes it takes forever. <laughs> no, but I've uh, dated many people in the stages of it. <laughs> well, then you know, right? So, like, both me and my ex-wife were dating before we were officially divorced because it took a year. I dated yeah. a girl, and she was technically separated, but they had sold their house and moved into separate cities. Yeah. And they were just waiting for the paperwork to, like, get done. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Now, she looks over the sink out the window and sees... Her, the other woman, leaving through the backyard. Yeah. They got back together after I got done dating her. What? (laughs) Did they move back into different, like, one city? Like, what? Yeah. Well, you could say that I saved a marriage. With the power of your penis. I mean, if you want to think about it that way, sure. But I think we are to assume it's Grace. Although, in my mind, when I like to think about silly things, I'm like, wow, he's cheating on both of them? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know it was Grace, but it's still funny. It's supposed to be Grace. Yeah. I just thought it was like what I do and just like just make two plates of food. (laughs) Same. Mikey's like Stouffer's leftovers and more Stouffer's. (laughs) So she finally gets down to it and is like, you wanted to talk. And he says, I think we should finalize the divorce. Grace and I want to get married. And she just says, 
okay, and then just walks out of the house. Oh, man. Okay, so when she did that, and then the next thing we see is her at the table, I was like, oh, she's got a gun in the purse. She's going to kill herself. Like, I, I, the, I called it, too. Yeah, yeah. You, you just know it's going to happen. Maybe not by gun, maybe by, like, pills or whatever, but I just knew whatever was in that purse is how she was going to facilitate the end of her life. And yeah. yes. they just do a great job setting all this up at the beginning. I'm very impressed with the uh, cinematographer and just the way they did the beginning story. I liked it. I just really liked her final words before she pulled the trigger, which was, you know, as if. <laughs> oh, no! Mikey! No, 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 no. All the cuts. All the cuts. But before she dies by suicide, right. we do cut to her house, which looks like a literal anthropology catalog. <laughs> Her house is out of Domino magazine. And I was just like <gasps> obsessed. But she's like stacking books. Like she literally gets the entire house in order and then just sits down at the table, pulls the gun out and shoots herself. And it's so fast. Like even though you know yeah. it's coming, I think that's the most disconcerting part of the scene is just how fast it is. Yeah. She doesn't even have time to reconsider it. It's just done. Oof. That's why shooting is, I mean, like, ugh, okay. I've witnessed a couple of these, Oof. and it is always surprisingly fast. And the main reason that middle-aged males die by suicide more often than any other demographic is because they're so much more familiar with firearms. And, like, that's the thing when you attempt to kill yourself with a gun. It's not like an overdose or when you hang yourself. There's no, like, seconds or leeway or wiggle yeah. room or, like, opportunity to, like, or even, like, getting on a ledge. and You know, there's it's just immediate and now and deadly. Yeah. And it's right. terrible. I so badly want to reference the coal gas study and how this is why. Well, so, okay, so this is why I cannot have a gun in my house. Because I am a manic depressive sometimes. Well, not sometimes. I just am. And, like, I I get into states where I'm, like, really manic and want to work a lot. And I'm very excited about everything. And I want to get into all these projects and all that stuff. And then there's sometimes I don't want to get up off the couch. And I just want to watch Japan Art of the Shogun on Netflix until I fall asleep. And there have been times before I started going to therapy that I, if I had had a gun, would not be here. Yeah. Yeah. That's great insight that you wouldn't have one. I mean, I don't think that I would ever get into that state now because therapy really helped me learn some things about how to cope during those times and like how to ride it out and all that stuff. And, and Mikey, I'm sure you can probably speak to it more than I can because you're like a licensed therapist. But like, you know, I don't think I would now, but I just don't ever want it to be an option because, you know, you never know. You know, we all get sad sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you don't have one either because I probably would have shot you. <laughs> I mean, is, isn't there, there is a statistic that says that there's a certain percentage where you're more likely to die by a gun if you own one. Oh, yeah. And honestly, you're more likely to die if you're a woman from your husband's gun than, yes. than he is to die of his gun, which is also not great. I mean, we can have a conversation about gun control. That's like not what I wanted this to be. Right, right, but, right, right. And right, I'm right, just right. saying it's there are reasons why it's not for me. If you are like trained and you're like go to the gun range and you respect what it is and you're safe with it, fine. It's whatever. It's your constitutional right. I just don't need one because I would kill myself or might. And I don't want to risk it. Right. Right. It's not worth it. If you are feeling suicidal or anything like that, like, please reach out, get help. There's tons of like research the lifeline i mean do I, I don't know if you want to drop the 1-800 number or whatever but there's a ton of free help out there that all you have to do yeah. is ask for it yes and check on your friends yeah. yeah sometimes people people don't always reach out when they should because sometimes it's tough to do so check on your friends check in on your friends see how they doing anyway i like lisa silverstone i was sad she died i i was also sad she died uh so we get silence as we pan through the dollhouse yeah but we cut to mia the daughter 
crying on the day of the funeral, holding the doll. And we cut to after the funeral, they release a bunch of balloons for her mom. And she tries to tie the doll to the balloon, but it weighs it down. So she ends up pulling the, the ribbon off. And letting the balloon go. It's, so, it's sad. so sad. Has this kid never seen the movie Up? Like she knows it's going to take more balloons. No. I got another joke, which is this movie wants me to believe that this girl could plot out a way to drive someone insane, but she can't remember that it, this doll takes three fucking balloons. <laughs> That's my point, though. That's, That's why I think, and this is a horrible take. That's why I think it's purgatory. Like, well, the thing that I figured out as the as the movie went on, because it keeps cutting back to shots of like the family doll. So there's more than one doll in the movie. That's yeah. the mom doll. Yes, it is. So that's why she's so kind of attached to it. I Absolutely. Think. And that's why she won't let go of it. Like it's a big, big thing. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a big thing. Six months is pretty fresh. It's just that's pretty fresh. Yeah. Also, to think that these kids could plan something like this, like freshly grief stricken. I don't know about that. My bigger question, how had they not seen Grace? Grace was there before, you know, Grace was a fixture before their mom passed. I understand that their dad is probably trying to keep some distance there, but six months and they don't even see her. That seemed weird to me. I think it's weird. I don't know. It's one of those things that I understand you're not supposed to introduce new people to your kids like in that situation. Like, right. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. It didn't bother me too much, but I did find it a little weird that they have never, ever met her. Right. Unless it was like he was cheating on the mom with her during the separate. Like the separation was we're going to try to work it out, but we just need some space. And he's like cheating or whatever. But like she knew and the kids knew. I think she caused the separation. Not And that I don't mean to put blame on her in that way but i think his relationship with her was the reason for the separation oh yeah for sure for sure I, and so, i don't know if they cheated or not probably so i mean but we don't know that that's all just our speculation like yeah. no one really yeah. knows because the movie doesn't show us so but the mom and kids did know about her so yes. it's not like the dad's hiding her right right they know he's dating somebody that's all we know we don't know that they were cheating or anything like that i wouldn't be super surprised if they had shown that like that wouldn't have make me dislike him anymore. <laughs> right, because they could have been separated for, like, years. They could have been. Yeah, we yeah. don't know. Uh, and I, I feel like it would have been in line with his character and kind of what we know about him. Oh, yeah, we already know. Just based upon what the movie itself shows us, yeah. we already know that he is not a good dude and he doesn't really think about the consequences of his actions. So I would not yeah. be surprised if he did cheat on his wife with Grace. We just don't see that and don't know that for sure. Right. Uh, we cut to Mia crying in her room. This broke my heart, man. It's, oh, this made me so sad. It's like this perfect combination of like so, so sad and so, so sweet because she's crying. The dad can't console her and probably because she views this as partly his fault, which I mean, I'm not saying it is, but. I definitely could understand if you're like an eight-year-old person whose mom just yeah. passed away, you might assign blame that way, whether it's right or wrong. But the brother going and getting his bedding and putting it next to her and like just laying down and holding her hand, like I um, almost started to cry. Like it was so sweet and so I, sad. I fully did cry. Yeah. But there's, there's an extra layer to this that I think is really interesting where is it when the scene ends right after that? He's like, don't worry about it. We're going to gaslight the shit out of her until she kills all of us. <laughs> right. I was no. like, wait, this kid has emotions. I don't no. know about that. <laughs> so the movie lays out that 
the the lodge that they go to obviously is one owned by their family but a lot of the religious iconography in that lodge belonged to their mother yeah it implies in this scene where she's talking about she can't go to heaven she's not getting into heaven that ties them potentially to some sects of catholicism where they believe that if you die by suicide that potentially would prevent you from going into heaven which the is little girl saying really that. hurtful also, can we talk about how this dad pretty much takes the worst case scenario of like how to deal with this if it comes up? I, I feel like there's an additional worst case scenario of taking someone who has experienced trauma from a highly controlling religious situation and putting them in a house full of religious iconography. <laughs> like, yes, that is also bad. <laughs> like and he has to have insight. I, I don't. OK, there's a lot to unpack for me on this. This discussion. One, I don't believe people go to hell if they die by suicide. Sure. I believe the pope spoke out in such a way more recently that is not as popular of a belief i was not raised to believe that i don't believe that i i don't believe it matters how you die people die in a lot of different ways yeah i I believe mental illness is a it's an illness not a uh, you know you're not guilty you are right yes that's one two yeah a couple of these things in this movie make less sense as we talk about it what is this author rushing off to do for the weekend? What is like this? Oh, my God. I think he's giving interviews. emergency author business. Yeah, because he's a narcissistic yeah. yeah creep. And then he took them to a house where you couldn't move anything because all that stuff is his mom's. But you're going to take your fiance who has like all this religious trauma. Yes. How about this? And then no one wanted to go to that lodge. And you're not even going to be there. Right. Why would you even go? If like if you can't move the stuff out because that's what the kids don't want you to touch any of the mom stuff. And then your fiance doesn't like religious icon- iconography. Yes. Then why go? Like the whole man's like mindset. Like his it, whole decision making tree is is not great. It's because he wants everything to work out, but he doesn't want to do the work to make it work out. Just do it at home. (laughs) I think she explained it. He literally wants them to just go off and get along, (laughs) and he wants to come back and have them be a big, happy family. Yeah. And he didn't have to actually expend any emotional work to make that happen because it's a difficult situation, and he is clearly uncomfortable with difficult situations. Yes. He does not want to have any of the, the big talks. No. And like it made me so sad for the little girl that he wouldn't just say, no, no, your mom's in heaven. That drove me nuts yeah. that he wouldn't just say, she will be, don't worry about it. Like, that's yeah. all, because all he needed to do was reassure her that it was going to be okay, and it was fully within his power to do so, and he wouldn't do it. And even if he personally believes that, which I don't think he did. I don't think so either. Just do what you people always do to children to make them feel better. Lie about the world. <laughs> I, okay, that's kind of a oh hot God, take. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it's really hard to make jokes about this movie. I mean, you guys know how I feel about religion. But, like, I would fully agree. Like, if your daughter is crying because she's like, mommy's never going to be in heaven, you would just be like, yeah, she's totally going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Yes. Yeah. And, and he doesn't. But he also leaves her crying. Like, the brother's the one who comes in and yeah. connects with her to make her feel better. And the dad, at a certain point, kind of checks out. He's like, I don't know what else to say to you. Bye. I know. He's like, I, you're eight. You got to figure out this shit on your own. I don't know if she's eight. <laughs> but she's way too young to be left alone in this state. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the son, who is clearly a sociopath. That kid is messed up, yes. I mean, if if this is not purgatory, which is fully not, but that's the only way I like this movie. <laughs> if it's not purgatory, and he is like a genius sociopath i don't see him doing this thing either but it's so sweet i do love it because i had these sort of experiences with my brother and sister when my brother died 
You know? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's so sweet. And it reminded me of that. It wasn't exactly like this, but just those really tender moments where you feel loved and supported when you're going through like the worst shit imaginable. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I still was sympathetic and empathetic towards the children at this point, but soon into this movie, I will hate these children. And I can't look at, can't go back. Once I watch this scene now, I'm like, well, fuck the brother. Yeah. Just because you know what happens later. Yeah. 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 So we cut to Thanksgiving, which it establishes is six months later. I fully <laughs> thought that they were hanging smoked turkeys. And I was like, why do they need like four turkeys? No, they're blown plastic turkeys from the 1960s to match the house. And yes. I was just like, oh, but I had a whole second of like, he's got a smoke room? Like, damn. If you ever need advice, I have been dealing with my own meat for so many years. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I've got Jake to work me. From what I understand, Mikey's been splitting things in half with it. Never mind. Does Paige know that story, Mikey? Yeah. You split someone in half? Oh, maybe she doesn't. <laughs> no cuts. All right, this is sexual. She want me. To, this is cut. This is not a. This is not a story for the podcast. Of course, it's cut, Mikey. Wanger, wanger. I was having sex with someone, and she was like, "Split me in two. And I was like, oh, "I don't know about that." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to spit you too. I'll go to jail for murder. <laughs> I like a little vocal fun. But then when you're out of it, you like look back, you're like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if you're not embarrassed about the shit you said during sex, are you even doing sex right? No, I don't think so. Hardcore agree, Paige. When you say stuff like, do you need the CVV number on the back of the card? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of like, DP me with a pool noodle. <laughs> like, yeah, just exactly. like real off the exactly. wall shit. So it's Thanksgiving. Right. And he establishes that Grace is, is going to be there. Right. And it's also established that it's six months after the funeral. Which, to be honest, I feel like. Thanksgiving's not a bad idea to introduce someone because it's kind of formal. A lot of times there's people that are not family there. Right. Yes, yes, I agree. And I also think six months after the mom has passed away, it might not be a bad time to introduce them to the woman you have been dating since before mom passed Right, away. right, right. So anyway, he's introducing Grace at Thanksgiving. And I think the problem is he tacks on to it like, let's all go on a trip together at Christmas. That I think is a little soon. Like, let him meet her at Thanksgiving and see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, he more or less says, hey, I'm going to take you to the lodge and I'm going to leave you there with her. Uh, by the way, wait till you meet her. She's great. Like, what? Yes. Yeah, why can't you slowly assimilate her into their life? Why do you have to, like, throw them in the deep end with this new girlfriend? Maybe not new girlfriend, but, you know, for them, it's new. New, new. <laughs> if I was this dad, one, I would feel like it. I would probably feel really guilty and like it was my fault. So I would have a lot of issues. I think I would probably feel that way too, even though I don't necessarily think it's his fault. The first Christmas after their mother's death, I probably would sit them down and be like, how do you two want to do Christmas this year? I was yeah. like, I know it's been yeah. really sad. Do you guys want to go to like, let's like, everything's on the table. We can go to the beach. We could stay here. We could go to yeah. the lodge. We could, we could do nothing. I, I Like, you know, I want you two to be as happy and feel loved as you want. So, like, what do you guys want to do for Christmas? And literally the first everything after someone in your life dies are, is, like, so hard. You know, especially, yeah. it, I, it has to be even more so if it's your mom. But, like, when my dad died, the first Christmas after it was, a like, it made me sad. Like, there was things you got you to work through, right? And yeah. I was not, <laughs> I didn't have to meet my mom's boyfriend on that, you know, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't trapped in a lodge with my mom's new boyfriend when that happened, you know? Yeah. I feel like this dad is almost treating their mother's death as an inconvenience. Oh, no, and absolutely. That's, that's part of why it makes them so angry. It's gross. Yeah. 
And they know who Grace is. They know that she was in his book. And they know that they were seeing each other beforehand. And yeah. I think they blame that knowledge for their mother's death, which is not fair. You know, uh, their their mother's death is independent of that. But I think for them, they're looking for reasons. When tragic things happen, people look for a why. And I think this is the why that they have found. Yeah. Anyway, so she doesn't even come to Thanksgiving. He gives her a hug outside. We see her in shadow, but that's it. And they have Thanksgiving just as the three of them. And then he tells them, I'm going to have to go out again later, okay? Because he's going to go see her. So that also establishes that he's been, like, leaving the kids at home to go see her. Which is so, I don't know. So if the mom died by suicide and they're like, my kids, like, like that's your, like, that you're it. So, like, that's your yeah. priority. You got to man up and, like, deal with that. And, like, if that means, like, you can't see your girlfriend on nights where they're there, like, get a babysitter. If you, I mean, like, it's going to, life's going to be... You know, different. You can't just like sneak yeah. off, leave your children un unsupervised to like, you know, get some strange. Yeah. We cut to a tracking shot through the quiet house. And this one, it's unclear as to whether or not it's the miniature or the real house. But it does linger on a visual of a woman screaming on the TV as it passes through. So we cut to Mia's room and she and Aiden are basically researching Grace, who is in their father's book on cults. And we find out that she's the only survivor of a mass suicide with 39 people, which is the same number as Heaven's Gate. And they also learn that she was supposed to bring the teachings of their sect to the public, which is also similar to Heaven's Gate, where some people did deliberately, quote unquote, stay behind. They also find videos of her father. They do a video of the mass suicide where she's kind of videotaping the bodies and it is designed very much like Heaven's Gate. I mean, add a few Nikes and they 100% would have been the Heaven's Gate. The way that it kind of differentiates from Heaven's Gate are the shots of the congregation prior to the mass suicide. Yeah where they are dressed more in line with like a Warren Jeffs or a Westboro Baptist. Yeah. Like the kind of homegrown Elohim City Americana style yeah. family cult. And the last shot of that video is Grace in the mirror with the camcorder who also has the duct tape across her mouth. And it's very unsettling. It's like young um, but Grace, I think it was though. Very well done. Yeah. 12 year old Grace. Yeah. So their father tries to talk them into letting Grace go with them at Christmas, telling them she has fun stuff planned. Please give it a chance. Think about it for me. And at this point, I was a little bothered. Just a little? No, I mean, the father is obviously being wildly irresponsible. Oh, you were bothered by something else. Sorry. Yeah, this pissed me off. Yeah, I was a little bothered by the fact that they kind of portray at least Mia uh, and Aiden as being afraid of Grace already where like they haven't even met her but because of what has happened to her they're afraid of her and i would say as a 12 year old raised in that kind of manipulative religious environment she is a victim and i feel like there are parts of this movie that kind of fetishize her trauma yeah yeah in a way that i don't love you mean like all of it i feel like all of it does that i, I feel like it walks a fine line between she is a victim and this is something terrible that's happening to her because it does portray her as she was trying her best and they made her life hell 
But it also sets her up in this way of like someone with this trauma is two pranks away from, right. from oh, murdering yeah. a whole family. And not, yeah. not just murdering a whole family, but to believe the exact things the cult believe that she left behind. That she's done years and years, probably decades yes. of work to get through. Right. Yeah. So we cut to the kids. Ostensibly, they've agreed. And they're playing in the dollhouse, but it looks like it's kind of a death scene in the dollhouse. It looks like they were having a planning strategy session in the dollhouse. They did. Yeah. Because it is all planned in the dollhouse, as we find out later. But also, we see them packing for the trip, and we see Aiden with his bag open. He packs that frame that says, in loving memory, and it is originally a picture of his mother. Yeah. He packs it in the bag, and then he packs that purple candle. And this is when I noticed it. Because I was like, why would he need a candle? Does he know that power is going to go out? Is this a risk? Why would you make a child pack an emergency scenario like that? <laughs> why does he need this candle? Yeah. And I kept remembering the whole time he has that frame and he has that candle. Why would he have them? And it just ate at me for the rest of the movie <laughs> because it didn't make sense to me in this scene. But this is how I know that it's not purgatory. <laughs> Is because he has the items. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I understand that the purgatory take is a horrible, horrible take. I also just think that they're doing things that kids could not and would not do. Yeah. So in my mind, in order to make the scenario fit, that's the only way they fit in my mind. I, I feel like they fit the way the movie wants them to fit, but it is unrealistic. Yes. yes. It's almost as unrealistic as it being purgatory. Honestly, this sounds terrible, but... I think if you recut this movie so that they were in purgatory, that is a scarier movie. Thank you. Well, and I, cause I feel like what inevitably happens in this movie really removes a lot of your empathy for two of your characters, but they are still children. So it's yeah. still upsetting to see them potentially tortured and killed. But I think purgatory is a more interesting, scary concept. You would have just had to find a way for them to figure it out. And that would have been the end of your movie is them figuring out that they are in purgatory. But I would say that the story is not structured in a realistic way. Yeah. To, to more clarify what you're saying. I would say if Ari Aster made this movie, they're in purgatory. Or they're not. And it's just presented better. That, yeah, that, that could be. My problem is not that it's two kids that pushed a lady too far who had sort of a mental break. Yeah. Because had they not done the crazy elite level pranks that you would need to have like on set film experience to pull off. Right. Had they just like taken and hidden her pills and then done like the in loving memory picture frame yeah. and stuff like that. That's like, you know, very small level. Definitely a kid could pull off type thing. I would have bought this movie and that they just pushed her too far or whatever. He, here's how I wanted it to end. And I almost thought it was ending this way. She, instead of being actually driven, pretends to get driven, scares the shit out of him with a gun, with like an unloaded gun right before the dad gets back. Like pulls up, pulls the trigger, it's blank. And she's like, this was completely inappropriate. <laughs> now, he's like, he's sobbing and she's like, now we're even. Do you want to start a real relationship? Or like, are like, are like, you know, like no, <laughs> absolutely right. not. Like for a moment, I thought she was pretending. I was like, oh my god, she's like buying into it just to mess with the kids. Because that's probably what I would have done. Oh, I can see that though, Mikey. You hate kids. Like just being outside, and they're like, oh look, we finally did it. And then I just pick up a log and like threw it through a window, and been like, I'm coming for you. Are you hipster Hulk? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> anyway, so they go to pick her up. 
And again, she's shadowed until she gets into the car seat with her dog. And this is where he answers the phone call. He says the paper is calling, is what he says. Yes. So that, that I guess, is why it would seem like reporter. But I think that's just him interviewing about a book or whatever. No, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. She turns to say hi to them. She seems very sweet. Um, but as they're driving, we get close-ups of the dad putting his hand on their on her knee, and they drive further and further into the middle of nowhere in the cold. She looks into the rearview mirror and basically tries to smile. Like she's trying, she is trying so hard to kind of like get through to these kids and be nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just not happening. Uh they stop at a gas station and then proceed up a snowy road in the middle of the night. So they get out of the car and she sends her dog to pee and she stands and looks out over the quiet snow all alone. And this is a very important establishing shot because later as her mental wellness begins to deteriorate, she believes that she can see a house across the ice lake essentially that is the house she grew up in. And so She's looking now of sound mind and body and there's nothing on the other side of the lake. Yeah. It's just trees. Just a frozen lake. So we get into the house where we find out that they set up a dog bed for the dog uh, and the bedrooms are upstairs, which I'm like, just let the dog sleep upstairs. I don't understand. Yeah. Let the dog sleep in your bed, you monster. Uh, Maybe your dog is a nightmare. I honestly heard once that there is no such thing as a bad dog, just bad owners. I mean, (laughs) Uh, what about Clifford, the big red dog? That He's dog a good is dog. A, a national treasure. Have you not read those books, Mikey? So Grace and the dad go upstairs and she goes to her bedroom. She hides the presents that she brought for the kids, which is very sweet. Yeah. And she puts away her bag of pills. Uh, they all go down to dinner and the little girl prays before dinner. And this clearly triggers Grace. She is clearly uncomfortable with it. Yes. She is also uncomfortable with the very scary painting of Mary. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Grace's nose starts to bleed, but it seems to be linked to stress, I would say, within the film. We cut to later after dinner. She's sitting on their bed and she's just staring at a cross on the wall, literally over their bed. Yeah. And he says, it's Laura's, his ex-wife's, and he says, does it bother you? I can take them down. And she says, it doesn't bother me because I feel like she wants everyone to like her. I feel like she's trying to, she's trying so hard to make it work. She is making exceptions that she maybe should not make. Agreed. I think she's just trying to be super accommodating because she's like, it's, I can handle my own stuff. And honestly, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest at this point she can't and does until they relieve her of her medication that she needs. Yeah, I I think if they hadn't taken her medication, if they hadn't pranked her, it would have been fine. I think she would have been fine. I mean, this relationship wouldn't have worked because the dad's a horrible person and she would have eventually realized that. (laughs) But yeah, no one would have died. Then they clearly have sex. She ends up laughing during sex, which not usually a good thing. (laughs) What? You can have fun during sex. You got to be careful when you're laughing. Yeah. So like when you first take your pants off in front of somebody, if that's when the laughing starts... Not a good take. That's but like bad. if you're joking around and having a good time and chuckles come out, that's fine. Yeah. I've made a woman laugh in bed in a good way. 
But the problem is the kids can hear it in the next room. Yes. Which is not good. We cut downstairs to the dog in the dog bed and he growls at something on the stairs. Yeah. Which we will find out later is one of the children, I suspect. Yeah, I don't think it it doesn't show it, though, does it? I I don't remember seeing it, but you see somebody step out of frame. Did you see who it was? No, you can't tell who it is. Okay. But interesting fact, it is dressed like Alicia Silverstone. It looks like her. Interesting. Uh, It's the same blue dress she was wearing the day that she drops them off. And there's a couple Ah. other points in the film where you see somebody just out of frame and that's what they look like. So wait, is the son wearing his mom's dress? I think most of the time when we see it in the movie, it is within the framework of Grace's delusions. Okay. And I think she is haunted by perceived guilt because of her relationship. I am on board for that. Did either of you catch the Easter egg that would tell you how the movie is going to end in this portion? Do either of you recognize the dog's name? Shooter? No, it's not Shooter. The dog's name it's is Grady. Grady, yeah. Grady's the bartender in The Shining. Oh. Or no, I'm sorry. Grady, Grady was the, the groundskeeper, the previous groundskeeper before Jack. Well, that sounds like a fun fact that we unlocked. Yeah, it's a fun fact that I guessed in the movie and then read it in fun facts later because they were like, Grady, and I was like, oh, she's going to have delusions and they're going to die in this house, aren't they? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. When I started the movie, I didn't think anything good was going to happen. It is a horror movie, Paige. That's a good point, Mikey. (laughs) Yeah. It it is, but I was just like, oh, that's specifically where this is going to go. Otherwise, why would they have named the dog Grady? So we cut to the next day and they're out ice skating on the lake and Grace is inside alone. She says goodbye to Grady, grabs her skates and walks outside and carefully makes her way out to where the kids and their dad are playing. And the dad tells them to give Grace a hand and they approach her and they're like, that's our mom's hat. Yeah. And leave her in the snow. Yeah. She does take it off immediately. Yeah, she takes it off. She meant no disrespect, right? She had no idea it was. And, you know, when it offended them, she took it off. Yeah, my favorite is that the uh, Mia, the little girl, pulls it on over her other hat. Yeah. So she's like double hatted. You might say point. it's a hat on a hat, Paige. A hat on a hat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the weirdest part of that scene for me is when Grace turned to the dad and was like, why did you make me wear this when we had sex, though, last night? Oh, God. Oh, no. Jeez. Uh, he was like, shut up, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> the dad helps her out onto the ice. Where she sees Mia playing with her doll and she basically says, hey, careful, there's a fishing hole and tries to pull her back. But too late, Mia drops her doll into the fishing hole and it floats. So it's like right there and they can grab it. And so Grace reaches out to grab it and falls in. The dad pulls her out, but she does save the doll. And then we get cuts of the dollhouse and then the real house. So we cut back to the house where Grace is sitting by the fire with tea and the dad is calling wherever where he says he's not coming back tonight. It's an emergency. Can somebody cover for me? Which is why I thought therapist. Yeah. Why does he need to go back? Like none of that makes sense. He's a book author. He's an author. I don't know. He's like the library's out of copies. I got to drive back and physically take my own book to a library. Um, But he tells her, I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you don't feel up to it. And she's like, I can do a couple days as long as I don't have to go ice skating. And she hides her pill bottle from him, which I thought was interesting. I don't understand why she wouldn't want him to know she's on medication. It seemed weird to me that she would be hiding that from him. I feel like they might not have a healthy relationship. Well, (laughs) that's probably fair. Okay, I retract my question. That's fair. 
So before he leaves, he shows her the safe with the gun inside it and teaches her how to use it. I also thought that was a kind of an extreme for like, I'm leaving for 48 hours here. I need to teach you how to use a gun and give you yeah. a gun. I feel like it's Chekhov's gun. They're introducing it just so that she can use it in the last act. Also, we learn that she's quite the shooter. Yeah, she's a great shot. So they scrape the ice off his car and he leaves. And he tells them that the gas station, the people at the gas station have a key just in case. All you have to do is get in contact with them. The kids know how to contact them, which is a lot to put on those children. But sure. Yeah. And also, how far away is his gas station? Like, why didn't she just walk there? Like, I don't know. I have so many problems with this movie yeah. in about 20 minutes. Right, 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 right. So we cut back inside and she basically is like, hey, I was going to start decorating the house if you guys want to help. And they leave her to do it by herself. Yeah, they're like, we don't. We fully don't. Bye. Yeah. So this is where I would break down, because if they don't even answer, I would be like, at least say something to me. I need to know you're OK in there. I'm going to break down the door. Well, and, and I think what what bothers me is at this point. They have clearly already decided what they are going to do to her and are just waiting to put it into motion. And that's kind of frustrating to me because it's they never give her a chance. No, essentially. But they blame their mom's death on her fully. Uh, now that we're here, I need to talk about this. OK. Yes. Grace literally is the worst Christmas decorator I have ever <laughs> <laughs> When she's putting it up, it's a little rough until she gets Mia to help her. And then it gets a little bit better. But even so, it's not great. Hallmark movie. This is not. I don't know what she did to the mantle. But like I was like, do you have you heard of the concept of Christmas? I could take anyone from any civilization, give them Christmas decorations and they should be able to like you know figure it out somewhat to get close to like a pop culture reference of christmas mia oh my gosh oh mia my <laughs> mama mia <laughs> anyway it's a serious snowstorm outside and finally mia decides to come down to kind of help grace and i feel like mia's defenses do wear down a little bit where even though she does go along with the plan later i do think she really does start to like grace and feel bad for grace if only about grady but like i think that because she's the one who kind of convinces them to stop pranking her but like it's too little too late and I think she's too young to understand what they've really done if they were physically capable of doing what the movie says that they do. Right. This is where they have the conversation where she's like, what do you want for Christmas? And Mia wants a dog. But she says that her dad doesn't think she'll take care of it. And so she says, well, maybe if you take care of your sea monkeys, maybe you can get a dog. Also, hey, I'm going to marry your dad. So guess what? I have a dog. A dog. Do me yeah. a favor. Don't kill him. <laughs> well, and, and then she does say, I got Grady as a present for myself. Where, you know, I, I left a really hard situation. I wasn't allowed to have Christmas presents. We didn't celebrate all this kind of stuff. But this was a present to myself for my new life. Yeah. We also reveal that she has a cross scar in her hand. Yes. But like an intentional one. Then Mia tells her that they made a present for dad and she shows it to her. But it's literally just old movies of them and their mom. It's deliberately a little mean, I would say. <laughs> like, I understand why... They have those. I feel like that's something specifically for their dad. And I think she's playing it here for Grace just to make her feel bad. I also think the dad would not give a shit about this gift. No, I don't think so either. But Grace gets up and leaves. And it's because it's fucking complicated to be who she is. And she goes and cries in another room. Yep. Uh, she knocks on the kid's door again, but Aiden won't answer. And she basically is telling them that she's going to make dinner. And they can come and eat if they're hungry. 
but they ignore her. Which, honestly, like, that's like the one thing that would have got me out of my room if I was a kid. Food. Yes. Yeah, I definitely would have been like, you know what? I want dinner. Let's do this. Yep. So none of them will come down. She ends up eating alone. Yeah. And she's facing that creepy painting and she hears whispering. I would have called the dad like right there. I've been like, this isn't going well. Yeah. I think she feels like she needs it to go well for their relationship to continue. That's too much stakes to put on somebody. Like, that's not, that's yeah, horrible. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think that's how she feels. She hears whispering, and so she switches sides, eats away from the painting, so she's not facing it. Still hears whispering, so she takes the painting down. She goes to bed, turning out all of the lights as she goes. She takes a shower, and someone has written mom on the mirror, and she sees a figure in the open door behind her. Now, she goes to his room and she finds lit candles and a shrine essentially to their mother. And Grady barks, but this time we see no figures on the stairs. This is where we get that horrifying organ sound cue, like a jump scare, like this discordant organ. And at the end of the hall, it appears that someone is playing an organ and it looks like it might be Grace. The kids are asleep, but as she moves her flashlights over them, they're the dead bodies from the cult in the beginning. Yeah. And she wakes up on the floor of her room, and she goes to her dresser, and for some reason the gifts are back in the suitcase with the little girl's doll, which we know she unpacked those gifts, and we don't fully know how she got the doll. But in order to cover for it, she and uh, Mia look everywhere and she hides it next to Grady. So, okay, personally, I feel like she got the doll because they put it in there. They put it in her suitcase. It's possible. But we never see. You're right. We never see. I don't know. Uh, But that's just my general thought based upon what we know they're trying to do to her having seen the whole movie. I think there's a reading of the movie that she maybe is sleepwalking. Yeah. Well, and we see her snap out of it and then pistol whip a child. Right. And and I think it gets worse as the movie goes on. And I think that that's something they didn't necessarily account for. But I think the movie tries to play it as as her condition worsens. Yeah, it worsens. So she tries to call their dad and is lying about the fun they're having. But she can't get through to him, which is basically a through line for the next few days is that some people can and some people can't get through to him. We will find out eventually that Mia has been talking to him the whole time. Yeah. And has just been lying to him about what's happening. And that's why her phone dies. But she tries to make a sandwich for Aiden. He ignores her. And she basically comes over and is like, we need to talk. (laughs) Because I want this to work out. Right. uh, But I feel like you have a problem with me. And is there something I can do to make it better? Aside from letting you see me shower again. Yeah. I think she's approaching this completely Right. Like, I think this is the best possible way to go about this. I think she is coming at it from a place of humility of like, I want this to go well. Please tell me how I can have a good relationship with you. Yeah. And the kid's just an asshole. Yeah. Kids act out like that. I I mean, I get it. But acting out and being a dick to people is different than like, you know, literally stealing their medication and trying to drive them overnight. Insane. Yeah. We cut to that night where they're all watching the thing and he makes her hot cocoa. But we find out later that they laced it with sleeping pills. Yeah. Because they're drugging her. Mia says it's really cold. And so he gets the gas heater out, which you should not have in the house. No, this is one. And again, I will openly admit this is not a good theory, but this is when I'm like, oh, they're all dead. This is a Jacob's Ladder situation. And they all just died. 
So she, in her dream, wakes up outside in the snow. She brushes the snow away from the ice and sees the doll. She falls through the ice again and a hand drags her down into the deep. It's her father. She wakes up on the floor of the living room. She checks her phone. It's dead. She tries to plug it into other outlets. She tries the lights, but the power is out and the pipes are frozen. Yeah. She wakes up Aiden to ask him to check the generator, but his phone is allegedly dead too. And the gas heater is gone, along with all of the decorations, everything in every cabinet and the entire fridge, including all of their stuff. So they essentially move a house. Except for the furniture. This is where it loses me. Yeah. And this is why I thought, like, okay, they're in purgatory from this point on. They've died and they're in purgatory because to pull that off, it would take way too much manpower than just two kids to do in the amount of time they had to do it. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. 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 But she basically says to them, like, where's all my stuff? I know you have it. Where is it? There's no one else in the house. And they're like, no, we don't have it, but we hear you walking around the house all night long. All night long, (laughs) all night. But we also see that their shrine to their mother and the doll are also gone and Grady is also gone. Yeah. And she's like, well, maybe he got outside. Well, how would he get outside? And they search for Grady and it's no use because if Grady has been out all night, Grady is already dead. Yeah, he's full dog cycle right now. It's horrible, man. So, like, these kids murder a dog because they don't like their dad's girlfriend. Yeah, they borderline almost murder his girlfriend because they don't like her. You know, like, they almost kill her, like, by negligence. So she asks them how far the nearest town is, and they're like, it's miles away, and we have no way to get there. She makes them food, and they've put the painting back up. I don't know if you guys noticed that. No, I did did notice notice that. that. Think about how crazy you would have to be to murder someone's dog and then be like, yeah, make me a sandwich now. Yeah. I hate these kids so much. I know. I would have been like, yeah, there is a way to the town and it might be miles away. It's called a road and they, they're connected. And so I'm going to go down the road and find this town. Good night. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I think it could have been far enough that it they might not have been able to walk without suffering from exposure. Well, yeah, because she doesn't have her like winter gear, right? Because they took that too. Yep. So we cut to her staring outside the window alone, and she makes a plate or, or like a bowl of chili to put it outside in hopes that Grady will come eat it. But no such luck. She comes back into the house and looks at a clock that says that it's the 9th of January. And she checks all the other clocks. Everything says the 9th of January. She changes it back to December 22nd. I really wanted there to be a special significance to the 9th of January, but there just sort of wasn't. No, it's the day that they find their bodies. It's on the obituary. No, I know. But I wanted like when the cult all died by suicide, I wanted that Uh to be the 9th or something that would like maybe actually trigger her more than just like a note on a photoshopped file of them dying or whatever. You heard it here, folks. Todd was like, I want to out evil these little evil kids. <laughs> I just think that, well, I don't know, man. This whole thing's impossible to, like, believe. Anyway, she asks if they messed with the clocks. They say no. She goes upstairs and she hears Mia talking quietly. And it looks like Mia's on her phone. And so she goes and snatches the phone with her, but the phone is dead. And she says, I was just pretending I really miss dad. She uses melted snow to bathe. And as the room fogs up, she sees the word repent written on the mirror. We cut to the miniature house where it shows a scene of them all suffocating from the gas from the heater. Yeah. We cut to Grace. Uh, She gets up from sleeping to take the cross off the wall and put it in the drawer. The door opens and it's Mia. 
And she says, I heard something. I heard a voice. And they search the house with a flashlight. A door swings open on its own. And it's one that seems to not close well because it happens the first day they're there too. Yeah. And Grace goes to investigate and she hears a bang and a creaking noise and realizes that it's just a branch against the window. But as she looks outside, the lawn is full of snow angels, 39 to be precise. So the 39 people in the cult then. Yeah. So back in bed, she hears chanting and her father's voice. She eyes the safe holding the gun. She opens it and walks downstairs where she hears the voice of a woman whispering and pieces of her father's sermon along with organ music. She walks back upstairs with the gun. She goes into the kid's room. She opens the door and walks in. And again, she sees them as members of the cult with shrouds. She pulls the shroud back and we see Aiden with sin across his mouth. Yeah. Aiden wakes up and Grace is standing over him catatonic holding the gun. Grace snaps out of it as Mia runs over to shake her awake and accidentally pistol whips Mia. Was it an accident though? I think it's an accident. I mean, yeah, but I'm pretty sure if this was Mikey in this situation, it would not have been an accident. It would have been <laughs> one of those quote unquote accidents. <laughs> well, when you're moving in on your like future stepkids, you got to establish dominance. Yeah. <laughs> Mikey, I can't wait to read your book on parenting. <laughs> Excuse me, step parenting. Grace doesn't remember how she got there. We get sounds of a ticking clock, and then we cut to her staring out the window again. The clocks in the house are now back to January 9th. We cut to Grace in the kitchen packing a backpack. She says, We're leaving. And Aiden and Mia are like, What are you talking about? Have you seen it outside? We can't leave. And she says, I need my pills and I'm going to walk to the nearest town and call your dad to pick us up. And they say, We can't leave. There's no way. We don't have jackets. We're not going. And so she says, I'll go alone and grabs a blanket. Um, she walks out into the storm, leaving the kids alone, and she treks across the frozen lake, all the while hearing organ music. Yeah. It starts actively snowing. She looks up to get her bearings, and all she sees is a weird-looking house in the distance, almost like a lighthouse. She walks towards it, and she can see that there's someone in the window, and it is clearly her father. She knocks to try and get in. The water she brought with her is frozen. Yeah, I mean, but she's, like, kicking on the door, like, almost trying to break it down. Like, she's really trying to get right. in. Yeah. She trudges away from the house when she can't get in and finds tracks in the snow. She starts to follow them, only to realize that they are her own tracks, and she is back at the cabin. When she ends up back at the cabin and she's, like, mad, I was like, of course you're back at the cabin. You followed your tracks home. Like, I thought she was like, okay, I'll just go home. And then I realized that she didn't know she was following her own tracks. And I was like, oh, she's just not super bright. Well, I, I think she's also in the throes of a, a full-on delusion. Break. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Her nose is bleeding. She wipes the snow away and finds at the front of the house the picture frame that says in loving memory and the purple candle and flowers and Aiden comes out to find her because she is not doing well no she's not he presents the photo to her where it says in loving memory but instead of a picture of their mother it's a picture of the two kids it's him and Mia and he says this picture what does it mean what if we died and she's like we didn't die Aiden and he's like we had the gas heater. Maybe we all died of, of inhalation. You know, if we had died, how would we know? Maybe this is what death is like. So upstairs, she takes the cross back out of the drawer and she starts hearing her father's voice. So she stares out the window across the lake and she can see the house and her father in the window across the lake of snow. Yeah. We cut to 
her sitting outside and the kids are praying inside. She comes back inside and they show her an obituary of the three of them, which looks like it's just printed off a regular printer. Like it's not, it's not even a like convincing one, but they use some of the words from her father's sermon to basically say like, we're dead. We must repent. This is a whole thing. And she and Aiden get in a fight and she ends up burning the obituary when she hears Mia calling for her. She runs upstairs and this is, I think, the most unbelievable prank of the movie where Aiden has a fake hanging because it's, it looks like Aiden is hanging from the ceiling and then he looks down and talks to her. Yeah. To basically say, we can't die because we're already dead, so we have to confess to go to heaven. We need to repent from our sins. I mean, unless he interned for Avenged Sevenfold while they were on tour, like, he does not (laughs) know how to pull this off. I don't know how to pull this off, and there's no explanation for how they did it, essentially. Yeah, and all we see later is a noose uh, hanging there, and it takes a lot more than a noose to pull this off. Like, there's a harness you have to strap around your body. Right. I was so mad about this specifically so she prays below that creepy painting and she's hearing her father's voice and asking why did you leave me and we cut upstairs to the attic where a speaker is playing her father's sermons like a little bluetooth speaker yeah we cut to the next day where she's kneeling on the ice out in the middle of the lake and essentially crawling in a circle and the kids watch from inside as she walks back towards the house cradling something white in her arms, realizing that it's Grady and that Grady is frozen to death. And it is so fucking sad. It is super sad. Um, Mia is devastated. Mia fully caused this dog to die. Yeah. yeah. And, and she, she comes it. clean where yeah. she's like, it was my fault. I left the door open. I'm so sorry. We also reveal that the sea monkeys are dead, too. Because it's cold in the house. Yeah. But we cut to the kids sitting in their bedroom and now they don't know what to do because Grace is outside cradling Grady and she won't come in and she's going to freeze to death if they don't do anything. And at this point, they decide that they're going to stop the prank. The kids go under the house to a trap door where they've hidden literally everything that was in the house, including her pills. And they go outside. They put a blanket around her. They try to convince her to go inside and tell her it was all pretend. But she is too far gone at this point. So this is where I think this is when I started actively disliking the movie. At this point? Because just the dog dying and them killing the dog and then like. Mia was remorseful, but the kid, the guy, the kid, the male kid was Aiden does not care yeah. at all, which is brutal. And I was just like, you know what? Screw these kids. I hope she kills them. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I didn't want anybody else to die, which is why I was hoping for the purgatory theory, because then no one else dies because they're or every, everyone no, they dies in the purgatory dead, theory. Yeah. I know because they're already dead. But I mean, it, it wasn't right. like someone got murdered. It was like negligence or just like a, an, an accident. Right. 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 But in this scenario, Aiden's a sociopath and also has like stunt coordinator on movie set levels of yeah. uh, capabilities. Like that's just so unbelievable. It makes me so upset. They should have came clean. I know they try a little bit, but like they don't come clean in a real way. They should have like. Held her by the hand and been like, this is where we buried things. This is where we shut off the generator. This is how we did this. This is how we did that. I, I think she's too far gone at this point. I don't th- I don't think they could get her to go with them. I, I at least wanted an attempt. You know what I mean? Like, what really bothers me is that Aiden is a, like, literally John Wayne Gacy level of sociopath. Like, he is a insane psychopath. But at the end, he just accepts his fate. 
and says, okay, I guess we deserve this or whatever happens at the end. Like no one tries to get the gun away from her. He is as big as she is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because I don't know how she would have overpowered both of them. Well, I guess she had the gun. She must have tied them at gunpoint. Oh, uh, I, I guess they were tied up at the end, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, I get the very end why they're not fighting back, but like up yeah, until he's that her point, size. yeah, you lunge at her, grab the gun, do whatever you can. I mean, wh- whatever, man. This whole movie is infuriating. Uh, so at this point, Aiden tries to turn the generator back on, but it's not working. And they realize that without the generator, all their phones really are dead now. Yeah. And Mia's is dead because she's been on the phone with dad this whole time, lying to him about what's happened. And they suggest that they could give her another sleeping pill, but then they hear her come into the house. And they walk into the living room and see that she has started a fire and pulled some of the logs out of the fire onto the hearth. And she kneels down onto those hot logs over and over again for repentance. And they run upstairs to the attic and listen as she screams. Yeah, she has fully regressed into what I assume was some cult-like behavior, although not every mm-hmm. cult is into that like self-flagellation stuff that some are. But I think clearly hers was. Yeah, I think yeah. hers was, cause, so she is fully into that. It's not always this type of self-flagellation. It's A lot of it's like whipping and stuff like that. But, I mean, either way, it's not a good sign for them. Yeah, self-harm is never a good sign right. for anyone. No, I mean... It's bad. Yeah, I think at this point they're like, but Lindsay Lohan made this look like it was fun when it was her and her twin sister, who we haven't oh, seen since trap. that movie. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying Lindsay Lohan killed her sister, but... Somebody should be asking these questions. Yeah, someone needs to ask these questions. Anyway, <laughs> Mia and Aiden basically hole up in the attic and they are freaking out. Yeah, as they should be. As they should be. They've, you know, caused a horrible tragedy. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at their dad's house, he finds the dollhouse with all of the creepy setups inside and he starts trying to call and he can't get through to anyone. He says in this section that he hasn't been able to get through to anyone in days. At which point I'm like, why didn't you call the gas station people? They had a key. The first day that you couldn't get in contact with somebody, that's who you should have called. Yeah. It's almost like he's a bad father. He is. He's a bad father. (laughs) Totally is. We cut back to the lodge where Aiden and Mia wake up and Mia has to go to the bathroom. And Aiden says, go in the corner. We can't go down there. But Mia goes anyway. Mistake, Mia. When you get the option to pee in the corner, you always pee in the corner. Nobody puts pee in a corner. <laughs> I had the pee of my life, and I'll never pee in the bathroom again. <laughs> I crouch down, let it flow. Sorry, okay. And I owe it all to juice. I'm sorry, in my mind, she drank juice, and that's why she has to pee. And I went number two. <laughs> hey, Mikey, have you ever so peed sorry. in the sink in a pinch? Yeah. I'm so glad you said yes to that because honestly, I feel seen right now. It's not my first choice, but sometimes you got to go when your brothers are in there. Oh, I'm just talking about like, there was a point where like, you know, I drank heavily. Oh, yeah. See, I don't have the I was drunk excuse. I'm too short for peeing in most sinks. Like, it's a pretty hefty hop up there and I'm risking it with my bladder. It's a little bit easier when you have a flesh attachment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I've yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. stuff, man. <laughs> So Mia goes downstairs just as their dad is driving up the mountain to get to them and he follows a snowplow up the road. As Mia opens the door to the hallway, 
Grace comes out of the darkness behind her, which was such a freaky shot. That was so good. Yeah. But she grabs the doll and Grace comes upstairs to the attic with Mia as Mia basically runs away from her. She follows her up and she's basically telling her, you don't have to be afraid. There's nothing to be scared about. Death is already behind us. And they're trying to tell her, like, we're not dead. We're not dead. We just pretended we did it for mom. Like, we're not dead. And she tells Mia that she has to sacrifice something for the Lord. So she burns the doll and Aiden puts it out and she then basically cocks the gun. I think she was going to shoot them then and there. Yeah. But the station wagon pulls up and their father walks into the house. He calls for Grace. He hears no answer. He walks past the like hallway towards the dining room and he sees Grady frozen in his dog bed. He's like, oh, this is fully not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, this is bad. Maybe I shouldn't have ignored my kids for a week. Yep. <laughs> he rushes up the stairs as Grace comes down the stairs with the gun and she's saying God is punishing us for what we did yeah. and he's like, we didn't do anything. It's fine. She puts the gun to her head and says, I'm already dead. We're in purgatory. He tries to talk her out of it. She pulls the trigger. The gun clicks and nothing happens. He wrongly assumes at that point that the gun is empty. And so he tries to take it from her. And she says, you're not listening. She cocks the gun. He holds her hands to try and get the gun away from her. But she fires, shooting him in the head. Yeah. And the kids take a moment to cry over their dad, but then run away. And Aiden starts the car to drive away, but he can't get it out of the snow. At that point, I would have gotten out of the car and ran on foot. Yes. She's out of it. She's not going to yeah. be a good chasing person. Absolutely. No, I would have yeah. just ran. I would have just ran. And she's just slowly walking to the car. Yeah. We cut back into the house. And we see drag marks where the father's body was. And we see that she has set everyone up at the dinner table with duct tape over the father's mouth that says sin. And she starts singing the song uh, Nearer Lord to Thee from the video at the beginning of the movie. And then comes behind them and puts duct tape over their mouths that says sin. And we get a close of the gun that sits on the table with two bullets in the chamber. And, and that's, that's the, the movie. movie. So having seen the movie, having talked about it, what do you guys think about The Lodge? Well, one out of five stars wouldn't recommend uh, staying there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Absolutely uh, not. Worst bed and breakfast ever. Right? <laughs> I, there are some things I, I really, really like about this movie, and I think there's some really creepy imagery, and there are some things that get to my personal specific fears. I do, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I want to see this this filmmaker's next movie. I want to see as they grow and refine what they do, because I feel like there's a lot of promise in this. And I feel like an extra draft on the script or another pass at editing, maybe we would have like an Ari Aster level creepy movie. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I think you're absolutely on point. I'm similar vein. I think we're like we're really close to like a really creepy movie. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel at some point it went too far to where when she turned, I couldn't be empathetic towards the children. Yeah. And so I was just like, kill him. Just killed <laughs> Yeah, it, it would have been a lot scarier for me if they were in purgatory, if the children weren't pranking her. 
But I think because we don't have that emotional connection to the children once we realize what they've done to her, then it, it takes away some of those stakes and it makes it a little less scary at the end. Although, I, I mean, disturbing. I, I would say this movie is very disturbing. Also, like, there was no tension because I didn't care if those kids lived or died. <laughs> I mean, this is, I don't mean that it sound harsh, but I mean, like, I think it would have been a better movie if, like, they the dad had to leave. There was, like, a big blizzard and they're trapped in the lodge. And then, like, Stuff started happening to push her over the edge and the kids watch her slowly. And it's not their fault. Where it's not their fault. Yeah. And and like you're just scared to death for the kids. And I think that would have been a scarier film. But instead, I'm like, you got your comeuppance. Had we not seen Oculus last week, I'd have been like, I don't really care what this director does next. But I don't think Oculus is a great movie, but Flanagan's done some great stuff post-Oculus. So I would definitely watch a movie after this because it could be Ari Aster level great. Yeah. Although, I mean, I sort of hate everything Ari Aster has done. I know you do. I love Ari Aster. No, no, no I mean, but like for me, it's just because it's super scary. Like yeah. all of the, like Midsummer's even scary. Uh, it's scarier than this. And Hereditary is my scariest movie ever yeah and making the kids like a special effects genius like that drives me insane this kid is what at oldest 14 15 years old there's no way he can pull this off i just want to see somebody come in with like a stronger editing hand and maybe an extra pass on the screenplay and then i think we have Ari Aster level creepiness and I'm here for it Yeah I mean I think if you take away All these special effects like Mastership that he would have to have The kid to pull this off to pull off the Hanging and that kind of stuff yeah, And just make it a lot smaller like they just Did too much to make it believable That it's not purgatory and they're Not actually already dead Yeah I do think they need to simplify The prank yeah but Paige do you have some fun facts for us I do, but I don't have a ton of fun facts. There's not a whole lot, but there's a few really interesting ones. So the actor who plays the cult leader is actually the father of the actress who plays Grace, like her actual father. And speaking of that main actress, Riley, and I think it's Keo is how you say the last name. Um, Riley Keo doesn't appear in the movie at all until the 21 minute mark. So it takes that long to set her up. Everything else is just shadows. Yeah. I mean, even when we first see her about to get in the car, it's it's obscured. It's still shadowed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we covered how they really, really pulled from Heaven's Gate. But they also played around with their names a little bit. Grace's name obviously has religious connotations. Yeah. Also, anyone coming from a kind of homegrown family cult like that is very likely to have a biblical name. So I think Grace works. Yeah, I think it works really well. But for everyone else in the movie, they either have their own name or they have a name that rhymes with their actual name. So, yeah. Wait, you mean like their real life name? Yes. Oh, okay. So, like, the father's name is Richard and he's played by Richard Armitage. Yeah. Aiden is played by an actor named Jaden Martell. And Mia is played by an actress named Leah McHugh. So... Alicia Silverstone had top billing on this movie, but only has seven minutes of screen time. That is a real scream. That's a psycho vibe. Yeah. Well, I mean, the movie Scream top billed Drew Barrymore. They did it because Psycho did it with Janet Lee. So there's like a, a, a precedent for it. So Psycho billed Janet Lee as their star, but she dies, I think, four minutes into the film. And then they did the same with Scream as a nod to Psycho. And then this movie does it as well. She commits suicide at the eight minute mark of the film. Yeah. Um, we know that they're watching the thing 
But also, the dog is named Grady specifically after the former winter caretaker of the Overlook Hotel in Stephen King's The Shining. It, it is named after Grady both in the book and the movie. The character is in both. Yeah. And those are our fun facts. Well, thank you for the fun facts uh, there, Paige. Do you guys want to talk some box office? Let's talk box office. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there is no budget for this movie. I could not find it anywhere, and I did look for it quite a bit. But this movie did come out on February 7th, 2020. It was 32nd at the box office <laughs> the week it came out. I'm not going to go through uh, what all beat it, but also in the movie theater that weekend was Birds of Prey. It was number one that weekend. Mm -hmm. Then number two was Bad Boys for Life. Number three was 1917. Number four was Doolittle. And number five was Jumanji, The Next Level. Then there were 27 or so other movies and then The Lodge. <laughs> now, I will say this. It's not as bad as it sounds. It only came out in six theaters that weekend. But I will ask you to guess what you think it made in its opening weekend gross, February 7th, 2020. I'm going to say $40,000. Okay. Mikey, do you want to venture a guess? $13,000. All right. It made $76,000. Oh. And again, that's pretty good for six yeah, theaters. That's not awful. Six theaters, it's not bad. I mean, let me just put it in perspective. That's roughly $12,000 per theater. Birds of That's Prey. Good. Yeah, Birds of Prey that was number one that week was in 4,236 theaters, and its per theater average was $7,700. Okay. I mean, so people who wanted to see this movie came out to see this movie. Yeah, well, in the six places they could see it. Now, in subsequent weeks, it did go into more theaters. In fact, its fourth weekend out, it was in almost 400 theaters, and that was his max. It was 395 theaters uh, is what it was in. So what do you think it went on to make domestically? I'm going to say $2 million. Okay. $1.2 million. Okay, it was $2.1 million. Gosh darn it. In the domestic box office. And that was partially because theater count, but also COVID happened and a lot of theaters shut down. Right. So it didn't really get like a full, full theatrical run and never got into more theaters than 400 theaters. Uh, internationally, it made almost a million. It made $951,000 for a total of right around $3 million. Uh, and then it says it made another $70,000 in domestic DVD and Blu-ray sales. I have no idea if they made money on this movie just because... I don't know what the budget is, but I would not be surprised if this was a very cheap movie to make. I bet they did. It's been it's gotten a lot of legs and a lot of buzz in the whole market performance. I can see when people buy it. I can't see how much money they made when like I, I watch this on Hulu, but Hulu paid right. money to stream it for us. Right. So right. we don't see that side of the business part of it. So I bet they made a good chunk of change from that. Yeah, I think so. But At I mean, at least Lisa Silverstone. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mikey, do you want to do that scary scale? Okay, let's do the scary scale. Scary scale is our scale 1 to 10 uh, of how scary we found the film when we watched it this time for the podcast, our last viewing. Uh, our one example is Ghostbusters. Our 10 example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's go. Paige, how scary did you find this film? Uh, I'm going to put this at a 5 for me. The imagery is really disturbing. Uh, I feel like there's like scenes that will stick with me because like I'm not a jump scare person. I don't really care about the jump scares. I care about the stuff the stuff that like gets its claws into you. I don't think this is as bad as like Conjuring 2 or a Paranormal 3 was for me, but it's it's up there, so I would give this a 5. 
Okay, that's good. Uh, what about you, Todd? I'm going to give it a one. Movie is not scary at all. It's like creepy-ish imagery. There are no jump scares, and it's so wildly unbelievable that you're just like, uh, okay, whatever. Okay. Yeah. It I, didn't bother me as much for it being unbelievable, but also I don't give a shit about jump scares, and Todd does, so. Yes, yes. I cannot handle jump scares, and this movie had zero of them. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I think I'm going to give it a like a three. I, I was pretty creeped out in a lot of scenes. It's, that's our scary scale. Yeah. Uh, next one I, I think is going to be a little bit more of a palate cleanser. Do we want to talk about what we're doing next yeah, week? Yeah, so what are we doing yeah. next week, Paige, as we continue cult month? As we continue cult month, a uh, bit of a palate cleanser because the week after I think is going to be pretty, pretty scary. Um, but this week, this coming week, we're doing probably one of my favorite movies of the last five years. Uh, it's a movie called The Endless. Okay. Which I've been wanting to do pretty much since I came on this show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, occasionally people classify it as a thriller because it doesn't have jump scares necessarily. But I think there's a, an overall atmospheric horror and a greater horror concerning the implications of what the movie posits. I mean, just to put it to bed before we even watch this movie, uh, Wikipedia does say it's a science fiction horror film. So, like, it is a horror movie. So, guys, your homework for next week is to watch The Endless. It came out in 2018. Yes. I don't know if there are other ones, but it's the one that came out in 2018. Hey, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? I do. I do. Nice. Whose review are you going to read today? Traveling Cheesehead. <laughs> All right, Traveling Packers Head. What you got for us? Traveling Cheesehead writes a review entitled The Anti-Shark of Podcasts. Um, I, I will take that as a compliment, I guess. When I was 14 years old, I gambled and lost. <laughs> oh, I've been there, my friend. The result of this gamble was me crapping myself in front of my friends and family. It was also my birthday. <laughs> oh, no. I feel like this is a therapy session, Mikey. This show makes me feel the exact opposite of how I felt that day. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take that. <laughs> the chemistry between the hosts is great, and the reviews are a good blend of humor and insight. Thanks for getting me through some rough days and keep up the good work. Y'all can get it. Winky face emoji. That is amazing. Sorry you pooped yourself at your 14th birthday. Was it their 14th birthday? Yes. God, I, I hope your friends were. I mean, your friends were there, but like, oh, that's 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 harsh eighth grade trauma. Yeah, I was about to say, and 14 is like peak puberty awkwardness. <laughs> or should I say pooper D? Sorry, I'm so sorry you had to hear that. <laughs> Guys, if you want Mikey to read a review or if you just want to tell us some embarrassing stories, leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes and perhaps Mikey will read it on the podcast. Just like Traveling Cheeseheads, uh, awesome, and I'll say a little revealing podcast review. So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including TikTok. 
TikTok. Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horror virgin, where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm, than the regular mm-hmm. feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys, check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable. That's fine. But if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash virgin. We also link it like once a week. So just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. And literally we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And guys, we got a PO box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a PO box, it's actually not a PO box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. This episode brought to you by Nick B. Nick B, fun fact. Yeah? He left his kids at a lodge. And they did perfectly fine because it was it's like a normal, like well-adjusted family. Well, that's good to hear because that's not always how it goes, as we learned today. Thank goodness. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. But Nick B, I don't know. I feel like we learned last week that Nick B is actually like a grandfather, right? So maybe he's like in yeah. that fun stage now where he doesn't have to take care of kids. He just like gets to be, you know, this great fun granddad. Fun, yeah. yeah. And then like get them all like sugared up and then handed back to his kids who were their parents. There you go. Ugh, I can't wait to be a granddad. I may have to adopt like fully grown kids, but yeah. <laughs> this episode also brought to you by Ori. Ori. And Ori knows this because we're very, very close, but like I take medication to like even out my moods or whatever. And these asshole kids hid it from me and Ori found it and returned it to me so I didn't have to murder these kids in a lodge <laughs> in the snow. Convenient. Yeah. So thank you, Ori, for truly saving those children's lives. This episode's also brought to you by Awesome Possum Blossom. And Awesome Possum Blossom wants me to give you some awesome possum facts. So here's one for you. Virginia possums inhabit Central America and the eastern half of the United States, as well as parts of the West Coast, where possums had just been introduced during the Great Depression. So they migrated west during the Great Depression. So... As the Dow was going down, possums were going up. They were going west, at least. Maybe not up, but going <laughs> going out towards the, the Golden State page where you're from. Yeah. We got fuck tons of possums. Yeah. You do like now. So many possums. Yeah. They just followed Fightful. They followed Fightful and bugs because possums eat bugs. And if you want to get some bugs for your possums, reach out to Bug Cage Company on Facebook or Brandon's Bug Business where they can hook you up with spiders, centipedes, millipedes, or any other peed that might tickle your need. I don't know what that means. Ooh, a golden shower? (laughs) So if you have any bug needs for practical or pranking purposes, but if you're pranking somebody, make sure they're on their meds and they don't have a psychotic break. But yeah, reach out to Bug Cage Company on Facebook and they will literally ship you some bugs. Hey, Mikey, you know what I need? What? I've been watching a lot of Jessica Jones on uh, in, on Netflix and I was wondering if you knew of any good podcasts that might break down that show episode by episode. Do you have any recommendations for me, Mikey? I have a great recommendation oh, yeah? for you. It's called Kissing Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and that's done by one of our patrons, Jeff, where he breaks down every episode of the Jessica Jones Netflix show episode by episode. So guys, check out Kissing Jessica Jones. We now return you to another episode of uh, The Patreonicals. Hi, welcome welcome back to The Patreonicals. So here we are. Uh, the bad people are road tripping, and they decided to do a classic road trip stop at a gas station for snacks maneuver. Nice. Classic. Everyone does this. It's one of my favorite parts of the road trip, to be honest with you. Yeah. Evil Matthew's like, hey, let's show Kareem what it's like to stop at a gas station for road trip snacks. And Isaac's like, I'm eating people right now. Like, I, I don't know. Can I stop and eat a per- person at the gas station? And then, like, Evil <laughs> Matthew's like, maybe. I don't know. So they stop. And um, Kareem's excited about it because he's like, oh, maybe something I can live for because I really hate being on this planet. <laughs> and... <laughs> Isaac uh, throws Dave through the front window. He knows how to make an entrance. Right. Dave dies right there on the ground, bleeds out. Wow. Dave is, I'm learning, pretty fragile. Mm-hmm. Life is fragile. <laughs> Especially when you can regenerate every week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. So they, they step over his body like a rug, uh, injury rug, into the into the place. And Karun gets... um. A gas station hot dog that's like really old, but he eats mm. it and he thinks it's really good because he's got like a different philosophy. That's the word. That's definitely the word, Mikey. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I, you mm-hmm. nailed it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Physiophily. Phil- uh-huh. yeah. Moving no on. No cuts. Yeah. Yeah. No cuts. Uh, <laughs> and then moving on. And then um, Evil Matthew got some Sour Patch Kids. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> and then Isaac ate a zombie that was in there. It was the clerk. So there. that was it. So they stopped and refilled. Hang on. Gas. Hang on. Hang on. I get the sneaking suspicion that the clerk wasn't a zombie or at least that anyone who is asking Isaac to pay for anything, he deems a zombie and then eats them. Yeah, they totally weren't a zombie. They had been like <laughs> they'd been surviving months and their story is long and complicated and it was like a tale of endurance and survival. So what you're saying is the person who's telling the clerk's story is a much better storyteller than the person telling Isaac's story. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> They're done. We're going to go to the next one. <laughs> okay, so um, we're in the Amazon. Which is in Brazil slash Argentina. Yes. Uh, where they're looking for the lost city of Atlantis. Yeah. All this checks out because the lost city of Atlanta would be in the Amazon, not notoriously in the ocean. That That's why no one's found it. That I mean, that all checks out, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just a mis like reading of the history and what they meant was an ocean of trees because there are a lot of trees in the Amazon. It's hard to see through them. Get your own patrioticals. <laughs> I'm over here telling the clerk story. <laughs> so Scott, who's like basically the thing. And then yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, pulls the boat up into this uh, thing in the Amazon. It's like a it's like a proper noun pyramid okay it's a pyramid in that the middle sense. of the river okay i'm sorry the pyramid's in the middle of the river yes it's a floating pyramid no oh it's on an island oh, okay 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 that checks out it's the last building that remains from atlantis so when it was in atlantis it was on a mountaintop yes okay that definitely sounds like you had thought of that before i said it i'm definitely <laughs> not making this up like really on the spot uh and um I like how we really tag team these, but you get all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Just like my prom night. <laughs> oh, this is not the first time I've been involved in a two and a half some page. 
Okay, uh, they're in this temple, and they all get out, and Tristan transforms back into a person, robot. Kate flies up with her telekinesis, and um, Scott was like, I'm really sorry, they made me do it. And lightning comes out of the top of the pyramid and hits Kate, stealing her telekinesis powers. What? What? <laughs> yes. And, and then Chip and Dale holographically appear in the clouds above, and they're like, you stupid, stupid-ass people. You <laughs> fell right for our trap with Scott. He led you right into it because we made him. Dun, dun, Whoa. dun! Chippendale! Rescue, Rescue Rangers! Rangers. Ch -ch Chippendales! Rescue Rangers! Kate passes out and falls down. Yeah. And Sasha runs and gets her and like does first aid. Uh, Amy, who has made a rocket, for her weapons because she's an astronaut fires a rocket at scott and he starts crying and he tells them that he was made to do it he's not really evil they took his son they have his son they've kidnapped his son right and he doesn't know what to do and then uh tristam was like we got to get out of here the temple is gonna blow up because it's counting down so they get on the I'm boat. I'm sorry, the whole temple is counting down? It's not really Atlantis. <gasps> Continue. It's Five, a trap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, Tristan turns into a hover boat and they get out. They're going out and it blows up and the, it's like really dramatic and they don't know what they're going to do next. And that wasn't my worst episode, but it definitely wasn't my shortest. <laughs> Is our group of heroes going to come together and see if they can save Scott's son? What is Kate going to do now that she doesn't have her superpowers? How has the evil group made it three episodes of road tripping without stopping for gas? Find out next week on another episode of uh, The, the Patrioticals. They just stopped for gas. That's literally what the episode was about. But there were three episodes before it where they didn't stop for gas. Realism, Mikey. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're in a Tesla. <laughs> then why did they stop for gas? <laughs> That's going to be it for us, guys. I'm Paige. I'm uh, Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it spooky, spooky. Yeah. Have a great week. Bye. Gaslighting nerds. Nearer my pod no. <laughs> to thee. <laughs> Oh, Nearer no, no, no. my pod to thee. No, no.